0: Hello once again, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Studio. I'm your host, Paul Nolan, the owner and the founder of Make Your Transition, and it is our mission here at NYT to help you become the very best electronic music artist, music producer, DJ that you can be by becoming the best version of yourself. This is episode 006. We are stacking them up thick and fast here at NYT Towers, and today is a... A very very cool conversation that I had with a good friend of mine who is one of the top PR people in the electronic music game It is Lydia Laws who looks after the PR for the likes of Sasha, Blondish and a number of other artists and brands. So I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to get together, obviously have a catch up because it's been a long time since Lydia and I got to spend some time together and have a good chin wag. And she's always amazing value and she's got her own amazing podcast called Lifting the Lid. She is the co-founder of Bye Bye Plastic, which is an amazing and environmental environmental Uh, initiative that she set up with Blondish and a load of other like-minded electronic music artists, uh, which is a fantastic, fantastic initiative, which I urge you all to go and check out. And on top of that, she is just an incredible brain where music PR and music marketing is concerned. So I thought it'd be a great opportunity for us to talk about that because it is something that a lot of artists, a lot of music producers, maybe don't quite understand to the extent that they could do. Uh, it's, It's often seen as an important part of the process, but it's a good thing to understand when you need PR, if you need PR at all, what it actually is, and what kind of function it is there to serve. So this conversation goes into all of that and a whole lot more. So without much further ado, here's Lydia Laws and PR for Dance Music Producers. Enjoy. Hello, Lydia, how are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? All the better
1: for seeing you. Oh, charmer. <laughs> uh, well,
0: you know, you know, I've got to put the Scouse accent to use at some stage, haven't well,
1: I? Exactly. It's
0: <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh that the other week when we were talking about doing this over like Instagram voice messages, and you were like, "Oh my God, a Scouse accent!"
1: I <laughs> know, I've missed it. I was like, "Oh, it's been far too parted on we
0: spoke." <laughs> oh yeah, it has, and, it, and, it, and we always say that every time we speak, don't we? We always leave it a little bit too long.
1: I know. I think the last time—well, the last time we must have seen each other was obviously February for the uh, Electronic Sound Summit.
0: That was it. Yeah, before it all—before the world went on its arse, basically. (laughs)
1: Literally.
0: I know. That was literally my last sort of like official outing before all of that happened as well. (laughs) So it was
1: definitely my last like industry outing, and then obviously went to Australia and had to emergency fly home before all the airports literally closed for the foreseeable and i got trapped on the other side of the world Absolutely which obviously crazy. now i kind of wish i'd let happen because australia is now just like going about their business yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. i've uh, i've got a lot of a lot of friends in like melbourne and sydney and stuff and it's like they they did the time if you will you know that old saying if you do if you do the crime do the time they did their time in the hole and they're they're loving life now
1: yeah, exactly. Especially Melbourne. I think Sydney always had it a lot easier, but mm. obviously Melbourne went into that really strict lockdown, didn't they? Mm. Yeah, they deserve all those gatherings that they get to have now.
0: Indeed, they do. Indeed, they do. So uh, after that sort of trauma, how's the rest of you in twenty twenty been?
1: <laughs> it was. It's actually. Do you know what? It was actually really good mm. in a lot of ways. Um, everything happening, kind of obviously changed up a lot of things in the PR front and with like musicians and artists and stuff, obviously. So I kind of had to push myself out of my comfort zone, which I've kind of always done anyway and always liked doing, but, you know, I started doing more like consulting and like coaching and stuff. Cause obviously there was a lot more artists who, or a lot more people who normally would be at work and then that might like DJ might be their passion who then obviously were furloughed or had the opportunity to start doing more music. Um, and also I think it made people think, okay, what do I actually want to do in my life? Like when you actually have to look at things and think, okay, something really bad's happening. What do I actually want to do? Am I, am I living my life how I want to? And I think more people took up music through that, which then I've been able to kind of coach people in, which has been really good. Um, and then also of like expanded into lifestyle PR as well, um, with another friend. So that's been really enjoyable as well. And just kind of kept things a bit different. Mm. So mm. yeah, it's been, it's actually, I was really like happy with how the year played out, bearing in mind the circumstances.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. And likewise here, you know, I've, I've enjoyed not so much like not traveling at all, but I've definitely enjoyed like having a bit more of a set routine and yeah. speaking to a lot of artists who, you know, have been on that tour and bandwagon on that particular hamster's wheel for a number of years now they've almost like really enjoyed it as well. And it's almost like, you know, that that old saying, like staying in is the new going out. And, uh, you know, being in lockdown is like the new touring in a a weird fashion, you know what I mean? And it's been like quite good for a lot of people in our industry because they've been, you know, obviously during lockdowns and stuff, not being able to like spend time with families and stuff. But obviously at the appropriate times, they've been able to catch up with people. They've been able to kind of have a bit more of a normal family life and a bit more of a normal kind of social life. So, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously a horrendous situation not to downplay it in any way, shape or form at all. But, yeah. you know, you've got to look for the positives in these situations. And, you know, for, for me on a personal level, having just an extended period of time where, you know, look, I'm not the busiest touring artist on the face of the earth, but I do travel quite a lot. I do a lot of conferences. I do a lot of consultancy work for companies like d Audio. You know, there's a number of different projects that kind of call on my time, as well as my own sort of musical endeavors. So, yeah. you know, having the actual time to be able to be here Literally sat in this chair and work on one singular project, which is this, which is NYT, and to have that time to really knuckle down and go deep into a project has been been very, very useful. And you know, the as, as you've been doing as well, coaching people and stuff, it's been it's been amazing to kind of be there with people and be able to give them like a sense of community through all of this.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I think so much. I mean, I was really busy. A lot of things obviously dropped off, but then my PR has never really been that affected by it. It's not like I do like full on event PR, like some companies where that is all they do. Um, who I think obviously it will have been really tough for a lot of mine is obviously artist led, you know, releases that sort of stuff along with the touring. So the actual musical output, like the amount of tracks that were coming out was insane. Mm. And everyone's in the studio. Everyone has that extra time for creativity or distraction. And, yeah, I think that has definitely brought some really great music out in the last 12 months as well.
0: Hmm. That's a really interesting thing. As I say, I want to get into that with you in terms of, you know, I think, and you'll probably agree with me on this, I think a lot of people, especially at sort of other stages of the industry where, you know, maybe they're moving towards taking it a little bit more seriously, maybe they don't quite understand what PR is, is I get this a lot with artists that I've worked with and developed and, you know, you get on this kind of, like, you know, ambitious hamster wheel of, you know, I've got to get signed, I've got to get an agent, I've got to get a manager and I've got to get PR as well. Like, I've got to get a team. And Mm. my first question to people who have that kind of approach is, do you? Do you really? Like, because do you really understand what these things are? And for your particular journey or the particular stage in the journey you're at... You might not need any of that. You might actually just need someone who has got your back, who you can trust, who's got a little bit of experience and can push you in the right direction. So it's really funny because when I mentioned to the NYT members that we were going to do this podcast, the first question out of some of their mouths is, what's PR? (laughs) <laughs> like they, they don't even know what it is. They just know that they think they need it, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, for the complete sort of lay person, shall we say, mm. I mean, obviously we know it stands for like, you know, public relations, but what is PR from sort of your point of view as somebody who does PR for a living? Like what, what's its function, what's its purpose and how would you define it?
1: So on like the most basic level, it's essentially getting you and your music noticed. Um, Reach it, and that's like through reaching new audiences, uh, getting you visibility, and then like giving you a platform, like in the scene that you want to be in. It's really that simple. Like, I still get that now with like whether it's people in the industry or not don't really understand what the job is or what you do, like kind of day to day. Um, actually, they often think it's like going for lunches with people, which would be great, (laughs) 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 definitely not the case. (laughs) Um, but obviously, there are lunches in there, but um, yeah, I think it's basically just getting you and your music noticed by the people that you want to notice it. And the people that you want to create as your audience essentially on the most basic level. Hmm. Um, I think the whole idea of, I mean, I've got, I've got thoughts on the whole idea of having a team, but I don't know whether I should go into that now or if I should say that later. Um, (laughs) I think the PR thing, a lot of people, I get approached by quite a lot of people who don't really understand what it is and they think that they need it. But, when you start talking to them there's a lot of things that they haven't got in place yet and they're kind of just like "Oh, i want to be noticed more i want to be in the press or like i release this good music and i get good feedback but then nothing like it kind of gets it doesn't you know get any further than that but i feel like there's a lot that artists need to kind of have in place themselves before they move into having pr and a good pr will tell you that and then you can work on that yourself so that when you are ready to put an investment into PR, you're putting it in, in the right time for you, um, with like, which is gonna get you the best results, mm. so.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting thing because I think I'm, I've been as guilty as this in my artistic career as well, that I think we sometimes can be kind of guilty of putting the cart before the horse, so to speak, like our ambitions and our wants and our dreams sort of come at the expense of all of the, as you were saying, all like the, the minutiae of all the little things you've got to have in place in order for that to happen. And, you know, as you know, our sort of resident marketing expert at NYT is Rory Palmero, And, you know, he's worked with Defected and Steve Lawler and Per and, and loads of other people. And the number one thing me and him say is like, the number one thing that's going to move the needle for you is a big record. So mm-hmm. first and foremost like you need the music to be on point even before marketing can do its job or PR in your case the music has to be of the right standard in order for it to kind of flow because I imagine that makes the job of somebody like yourself a lot easier. So yeah. you know that that really has to be the focus I think. So in terms of audience building like, what kind, of, what kind of things are you looking for in an artist? Because you were saying, like, there's a few things you have to have in place beforehand. So what do they need to have in place? And how can, say, for example, an artist kind of come to someone like you with all of their ducks in a row, so to speak, so you can yeah. say, right, we're good to go now. We can make this work.
1: Yeah. So you want to have a little bit of a buzz around you already. Um You want to have put some like proper time into your socials, um, kind of growing those. It's not even about like the numbers. It's more about like the engagement. You know, you want to have like whether it's small, which is fine because obviously everyone has to start somewhere, but you want like a supportive fan base already who, you know, kind of love you and will come and see you play and will kind of always be like, I guess, championing you. Um, so I think you definitely need to have that it doesn't really matter so much about the size it is about the engagement and how you're kind of appealing to your fans Um, and yeah definitely that sort of buzz around you where like you know obviously you have to start somewhere but I think you want to be putting out good releases that is literally the key thing Um, there has to be music you know sometimes I get people who send emails kind of saying I really want PR and they don't share any music and then when i ask for music it's like oh yeah i've kind of got these tracks but you want to have you want to be putting music out you need to kind of do that legwork first because otherwise it's just a waste of time like if i take on an artist who has never had a release yet um then what what exactly am i pushing do you know what i mean hmm. like if they if they don't have any releases Obviously it's a bit different sometimes there's always exceptions. So like, say someone has like a really strong residency somewhere and you know, they've been like building that up in their hometown and they always play residency and they haven't had any music out or maybe they're not actually producing yet. There's always those exceptions where it's like, yeah, but they have a story. They're part of a crew. They're part of like the roots of one town somewhere, you know what I mean? Like Glasgow is quite a big city for that sort of artist. Um, Then that's a bit different because you're still telling a story of that artist but without any releases and without like something like that then there isn't really a story to tell at this point Mm. and you're going to kind of waste your money and the publicist's time by trying to tell a story when it's you haven't even actually began like chapter one yet yourself
0: yeah totally it's interesting because it's it, it it makes you reflect on the journey of an artist in general And, you know, I don't mean this as like a judgment on anyone, but it's the number one thing that I see when I start working with artists is that there's a great desire to, quote-unquote, make it. And I think that's producing in the scene, and this is something I've spoken about at length, I think it's, at the moment, it's producing a great amount of pressure to conform
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And I've seen this a lot where, you know, I get people come to me and they say, you know, I really want to, you know, I've I've overused this metaphor a million times, so I apologise in advance, you know, I really want to get signed to drum code. And it's like, they feel like they've kind of got to fit themselves into this cookie cutter thing of like, you know, I'm into techno and, I know it's a bit rich for me, for those of you watching the video version, because I'm wearing a black T-shirt today and black jeans. You know, I'm, I'm in the techno uniform and I'm saying, like, don't do that. You know, it's like, it, it, it's funny. It's like there's this pressure that, you know, the music must sound a certain way. It must look a certain way. It must be this way in order for me to conform, to become yeah. acceptable to these big labels so I can go and live my dream of you know flying around the world and playing records to people and you know i just think that is is such a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a waste in a way because there's loads of people within our community at NYT that have incredible stories to tell about themselves as artists but the message that they receive from the industry a lot of the time is well this is trendy and this is hot right now so unless you're this then it doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. and I think there's there's a a whole new paradigm starting to open up which is one of the positives of where things are at the moment and I've been very adamant that there are positives to take from this definitely is that there's going to be a whole new way of doing things open up and artists I'm trying to encourage them to follow their own unique path a lot more because as you've said I imagine if someone's got a better sense of what their story is and what makes them unique, it makes your job better, right? Or makes it easier.
1: A hundred percent, like when I, whenever I take a new client on, I'll send them like a bunch of questions so that I could, obviously we'll have like a big chat and I'll send them questions to get an idea of them. Um, and one of the questions is always like, you know, what, what sets you apart from other artists? And it's always one that kind of people, some people like know straight away, like this is what makes me special. Some people just don't really think about it, and I also think that I feel like it's getting that balance because I think also some pe- sometimes I think people can be a bit it can be a bit too self-involved. We're encouraging people to be a little bit too much like love yourself, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time I think there's that thing like you know when you I think school has a lot to answer for for the whole like tall poppy syndrome and like you know kind of like try not to stick out too much, try not to be too good at this try not to like show huh. off when actually you're just showing you good at something like being sure of yourself is being arrogant and i think those sort of things i actually think have like held back quite a lot of people those sort of attitudes and you it's really difficult but we all have had to do this at some point like obviously when i start my own business i had to think well i must be offering something that other people aren't like what is what is it that makes me special and it's the same with you with MIT. like what are you giving to the industry that isn't there or what niche are you filling? And I think as an artist, you really have to think about that and be like, like really believe in yourself for what you're doing that's different or what your story is kind of bringing or like why you kind of feel you deserve to be heard and for your music to be heard. And I think that's a really important thing that people need to be really clear of when they're kind of starting out. I mean, not necessarily, you don't have to know all the answers straight away, but, in the process while you're starting to make music and you're producing and you're kind of building up a bit of a name for yourself and, like, kind of your local scene or wherever it is, I think you really have to think about that and kind of really know, like, your own value. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah.
0: No, absolutely. No, absolutely. It's 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 totally true. And as you say, I think there is a lot society sort of has to answer for where that's concerned because I definitely felt that, you know, as someone who at a very early age i showed an aptitude for various things like i'm talking even like in primary school and i was very quickly beaten down by that by both my teachers at that time and also my peer group because again like the you know, the insecurity of others is, is a really unfortunate thing because you know they you know other people will seek to kind of diminish the people around them rather than lift themselves up because the kids at the end of the day, they don't know any different, but they're not encouraged to kind of, you know, have the emotional intelligence to, to, do, to do anything else. And you're right. I think that's, that's kind of one of the root causes of it. And one of the things that we're really seeking to address, I mean, one of the things that's funny you were saying about like questions you ask people and it's, it's always fun for me, like, when I take a new client on like this or a new sort of artist that I'm going to develop. Because my aim really is to kind of develop people to get to the point where you can take over at one point and go, oh, yeah, great, everything's sorted, right? I can go. Yeah. And, so <laughs> in a way, Lydia, like, my job is to make your job easier, do you know? So I'm it's like, so, obviously, so <laughs> obviously I'm kind of failing in a lot of ways if we're talking about this right now. So, you know. <laughs> Ultimately, you know, I, I sit there with, this, with someone and the first question I ask them is, like, why? Like, yeah. why, why does this matter to you? And what is it that you're trying to say through your music? What kind of message are you trying to get out there? What kind of impact are you trying to have on the world? How does your music and you expressing yourself authentically as an artist... How does that contribute to the world? How does that help people have, as we've both had, life affirming, transformative experiences on dance floors, where you know I've had yeah you know, we've had tantamount to like you know spiritual awakenings on dance floors and stuff like that. And it's I miss um, it
2: so much. <laughs>
0: I know, right? I know. Um, and and the funny thing is the amount of people I get a blank expression from, because they're so like narrowly focused on. I hate my job. I want this kind of glamorous lifestyle. And I've got this image in my head about what the reality of it of it is compared to what it really is all about. Because I've tasted that and I'm gonna be completely honest with you, it's not really for me long term. Like I'm 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 settling into that. Like there's been a degree of acceptance in the last year that I'm I'm cool with where I'm at. And it's interesting because people don't even really have that thought process. They're too busy. Like, I want to quit the job that I hate and I want to have this glamorous lifestyle. And I've always said to these people, go away. Have a little bit of a think about it. Because, to be honest, if your motivation for making this music is based on me making money and me flying around the world and becoming all of a sudden very attractive to the opposite sex or whatever sex you're into, then... I don't think really people are interested in listening to music based on that kind of motivation. You know, it's like, think about what kind of story you're trying to tell as yourself as an artist, but also within your music. Like, you know, what kind of what kind of message are you trying to get out to the world? And, you know, I think that does is another thing that plays into great PR as well is being able to tell that story writ large.
1: Yeah, 100%. I actually want to mention without plugging my own podcast um That's what you're there for, isn't it? so on my lifting the lid podcast i just interviewed chris Barron, who's the front man for spin doctors mm. um and he was like telling all these stories about touring with rolling stones so it was great but he i one of my questions to him was like what was like kind of a big break um and he was like i kind of want to like dissect that question because i don't really think that the whole idea of a big break should be pushed out there and it's always something that everyone always thinks mm. some people are lucky enough to have a big break where like their track gets played by like marco carolla at like 5 a.m and like then that blows up and then it gets released and then it gets signed to this and dah, dah, dah. some people have you know get a bbc one residency and that's what puts them on the map or like someone plays some special show like yes yeah, sometimes we do have that but what he was saying was it's all about like the, I guess like the journey that gets you there and he basically said you know they were literally touring they were playing like every night when they were starting out literally just random dive bars in like New York and stuff and that then when they were on their tours and stuff he just said like you basically spend 22 and a half hours going through like all the bad stuff and all the kind of boring stuff and all the ta- like you know the being knackered and the traveling and the being stuck in a like like a bus with a load of people who you just want to like punch because you just sick to death of them and like all that sort of stuff just for that one and a half hours of what you love and I really like that thing of like you have to work really you know you do have to work really hard and it's not like there are glamorous elements but I, I really enjoyed his kind of idea of like yeah you work like 22 and a half hours for that hour and a half of what you love doing and it's all worth it for that and I kind of think that's the attitude that we should all take Mm. to a certain point you know like you have to put in the hard work you can't expect to just get lucky with the track some people do some people seem like they do but if you actually know them from their hometown when they started out you know how hard they've been working you know the times when they almost made it big but then had their kind of heart broken because the track got dropped like you know it's it's never quite what it seems I think both the glamour side and also like the kind of making it side and I just think that's a really interesting discussion for sure
0: totally I've been of the assumption for a while now that there really is no such thing as making it and what we're actually expressing is a desire for transformation in our lives Uh, you know that that kind Mm. of like you know tremendous like paradigm shift in all of our lives and to be honest those paradigm shifts tend to happen but they don't tend to happen in the forms that we expect in fact they more they more happen in a way that we need rather than a way that we want and a lot of that comes down to expectation and you know for me i've said this for a long time and i've Again, from my own sort of personal journey, my own kind of lessons that I've learnt is that expectation is just pain that you book in advance, and I try and like you know live with as little, if not any, expectation of anything or anything at any moment, um, which has made me life a lot a lot happier. And I can I can say even for my my sort of you know not as like intense a level as a touring artist, I've done me fair share. It really is true. And, and, you know, back in the day, sort of 15 or so years ago, 20 years ago, I was spending quite a lot of time with uh, Sander Kleinenberg. Um, lovely, lovely man. Really got all the time in the world for Sander. And he said to me once at that time, he said, you know, I spe- my job is to travel. My job is to get on planes, fly around the world and stay in hotels. And so the travels, the work in my spare time Mm. when I'm not traveling, I get to play records in front of people and have a good time. And I think that that is so true. And I think it's a tremendously healthy attitude to have. And I think that's at the center of, you know, a number of artists who I've spoken about who have said that they've enjoyed having the time off the road. It's made them realize that in a lot of different ways, the scene had become unsustainable in a lot of different ways and obviously we could talk about it environmentally because I know that's something that you're you know really passionate about and you've got amazing projects on that front but just from like a a personal mental emotional almost spiritual level like there's only so much of that you can do before the wheels well and truly fall off the wagon and you know I think it's great what what you were saying there through through the podcast with your, your man from The Spin Doctors, it's totally true that the vast majority of us go through this long, inexorable kind of, like, journey upwards of years and years and years and years. And, years. and it's actually only the, the very few selected ones who have that, like, sort of big break moment. And then a lot of time, they disappear as quickly as they arrive. And that also exactly. presents its own set of problems, really. So, you know, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see where the scene kind of goes forward, and it's something we'll get into in a moment. But, you know, you were saying before about a lot of music has been getting released in the last year, obviously, because touring's not happening. We've got, you know, a lot of people in the studio. It kind of comes to a, a, a another basic question. Do you think we value the music enough in dance music.
1: I don't I don't think so. I'm going to say something which I might regret and might be controversial. Guys, right, so I'll let said <laughs> out, don't worry. <laughs> um I haven't I, I remember the way that certain tracks made me feel in like 2013, 2014. Um maybe a, yeah, probably like 20 maybe like basically the last 3 years I'm going to say especially. There has been some beautiful amazing tracks that have come out but nothing has made me feel the way that some music made me feel a handful of years ago. Mm. I feel that there's some really incredible music coming out, but I feel like, I just feel like there's so much of it. There's so much coming out all the time. Um, I can't even remember. I think like Beatport had like record sales in 2020 Mm. is the word on the street. Um, And I just think, the actual turnover in music like the actual speed with which we're actually people are producing putting out music and then it just gets kind of lost a little bit and then the really special songs Mm. that i mean obviously it's been a difficult year for this because the really special songs we haven't been able to like have those special moments on the dance floor um but I feel like we've really lost like uh, an element of that has been lost because it's happening so fast. It's like this merry-go-round of music coming out and then you haven't really got enough time for that track to like really for you to really get it. Do you know what I mean? For you to really feel it and be like, "Oh my god." And then and kind of know when the breakdowns coming in and really like feel it through your whole body. And that's kind of what I've missed a little bit. Um in, in a, on a kind of like on the other side, though, I think there's also a lot of really good quality production happening. So maybe it's a combination where like the level of actual quality has kind of stepped up, at the same time as there being so much music. So then we haven't really our kind of level of expectation has has risen, which comes back to expectation, which I think is really interesting what you were saying about that because I think that's a big flaw that we all naturally have, like expectations being kind of outlined. But I think yeah, so we kind of have a higher expectation for everything and the bar is already set higher anyway. And then the turnover is so fast that we haven't got time to like really process and value that music before it's like, oh, okay, next other of tracks will come out. And I think because everyone's been stuck in the studio and creating, which has been great on one hand, I also think it means that a lot of music is getting lost in other music. And a lot of other music that's coming out that maybe, for example, like you were saying about, oh, I want this track to be like to drop on drum codes. So then a lot of people are producing stuff which isn't actually what they're naturally drawn to produce. And then all the kind of really special stuff gets a bit lost in all that as well.
0: I, I, I totally agree with you in terms of the value um, of music yeah. and the quality of music. because. You know, I think the production craft has escalated quite dramatically because the tools are better than they've ever been before and they're continuing yeah. to get better. They're more available than they've ever been yeah. before in terms of things like plugins, hardware synthesizers, all that stuff. You can fit more into a smaller box and it's much cheaper. So that's great because a lot of people can make music who couldn't make music before. Yeah. But it's also leading to an overabundance of potentially you know quite mediocre music because the songwriting craft isn't quite there because you know we've moved past that point of like having to innovate through a lack of budget a lack of equipment you know we have to be imaginative about these things and you know i I think I've, i've noticed it as well where and again it might just mean me being old that like it, think i'm not saying i'm not trying to be like uh you know it's not it, it wasn't as it's not as good now as it used to be i'm not trying to be one of those yeah. merchants but i think there's definitely been a, a clear as the cycles have spun up and people have been encouraged to release more and more and more music i think a lot of music yeah. ends up coming out that maybe in a different era it wouldn't it wouldn't have been considered like of the quality in order to be you know worked as like a proper record if you know yeah. what i mean from a pr perspective i'm sure
1: Mm, yeah it's a difficult one I think like I also think there's oh, yeah I think a lot of things a lot of things that have something else that has affected it over the last few years is like the closing of venues and the scene changing a lot in that way as well and I think that has had an impact because like music is that thing that like it's so nostalgic and it's so special and it's also so like memorable like you create a moment around something you hear you know, f- you feel like a track like in your body don't you like when you have a special dance floor moment and like and that every time you hear that track it's like a, I think music is like a smell like it takes you back to somewhere like really quickly and it's really like evocative but with so many things changing over the last few years a lot of venues closing down you know like like I don't know, it's just like, you know, certain things that you might heard at like amnesia at like 10 a.m. in Ibiza, like that doesn't happen anymore. So that whole moment is kind of gone or like, you know, so many people are kind of mourn like space still because nothing for me will ever be the same as standing on Space Terrace and hearing a special track. You know, you have those moments. And also, I think another thing is that we romanticize the past as well. So obviously you have these memories of certain things that have happened or certain tracks that you heard at that special moment and you kind of hold on to that. Mm. Um, maybe if we went back and listened to those tracks, we'd realize that actually we've also, our expectations have grown and maybe that wouldn't have, like it's kind of the flip side of what you're saying. Do you know what I mean? It's like, maybe if we actually, re listened to those things that kind of blew our minds then maybe we wouldn't feel the same now Mm. anyway, maybe Mm. we've changed. But I think the value, yeah, I think that is a big part of it because, I don't know, it's it's a difficult one. I I think there's like both sides of it, which there's two different arguments to it. But they both kind of, I think it does come down to the fact that there is just so much music. So then the good stuff often kind of, you know, I've worked some records where I will listen to this record. I'll be like, wow, this is really amazing. Like it definitely deserves to be like repped and pushed. But then it never really does as well as it should do, because I'm reaching out to the same press as everyone else is reaching out to with this huge amount of music. And somehow you have to cut through all of that and get the attention of these journalists who are hearing the same similar sort of, you've got to hear this girl, you've got to hear this guy, you you know, you've got to hear this track and it's quite hard to do that especially now when there is so much music
0: yeah totally because again people's attention spans can only last so long we can only hold so much information in our minds and there exactly. can only be so much music released before it starts to get a little bit sort of overwhelming so to yeah. speak and, you know, I think it really does speak to, again, the, the kind of the, the cycle, like we were saying about, you know, the sustainability of the current business model of the scene, which I think is going to change as an inevitable result of the pandemic. But we don't really encourage people to look upon their own music with value as well because i think again we get into this thing of like we've got to keep throwing music out there in order to keep 100%. on top of everyone's attention that we we're almost conditioned and kind of um kind of led to believe that if we're not con- you know completely in that cycle of making new music all the time that we we're not we're not worth anything you know we're not yeah. we're not a valuable part of that industry whereas you know my take on it has been slightly different where i have always tried to espouse like quality over quantity Mm -hmm. and i've always tried to maintain both in my own artistic career and in you know the 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 careers of the people that i'm advising as well that one really great record that will bang the doors open for you is going to be better than releasing sort of 10 mediocre things that are just going to keep you kind of trundling along. And, you know, that's yeah. definitely been my experience where, you know, 2019, I, I only put four tracks out, but they were the four yeah. biggest tracks of my career. And it definitely mm-hmm. moved the needle for me forward because I ended up on Bedrock and, you know, massive support from like Hanan Cataneo for a number of months. You know, I think Hanan ended up playing one of my records for a year. That's so good. Which is which is unheard of, really, yeah. you know? And I, I would rather do that because I basically try and and this is like a recent epiphany that I've had that I try and view my art as as an artifact in and of itself. And it's really fascinating to me because if you look at like some of the, the moves that are happening at the moment with um there's that company that's buying up all of those songwrites. Like they've just bought Shakira's catalogue, last week they bought Neil Young's catalogue uh, I think uh, Lindsay Buckingham from Fleetwood Max just sold all, the, all of his rights to to this company the name escapes me but I'll, I'll, I'll think about it eventually and it's really interesting because those catalogues, they're being bought and traded almost like assets like oil mm-hmm. or gold and they have like intrinsic value and it made me reflect on how does that happen within the electronic music industry? And it doesn't by and large? Because I don't think a lot of artists themselves almost like respect their own catalogues, so to speak, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, totally. I had a really similar conversation about the kind of quality of a quantity with a, um, an artist I'm working with recently. And he has been putting out music quite regularly and he's had some good kind of beat success and stuff, but he's finding it hard breaking through that kind of next level um and obviously it's harder uh, for an artist at his stage it's harder now as well because obviously there's no gigs or there's very limited gigs um so but he he had that question like should i you know put out loads of tracks like should i still be keeping up this level of production and it's like obviously work on the tracks as much as you want you know spend as much time in the studio as you want because you never know when that special track is going to come and it might come like you know months in it working on other music you might get that hook that then you know what I mean? You just never know when it's going to come, but it was just like he had this kind of impression that maybe he needed to spend more time producing and like have a, like basically have music coming out all the time and really in reality, you don't want to be, you don't need to be doing that and you don't want to be doing that because it's, it comes down to that sustainability thing as well. Like how sustainable is it for you to be working in the studio that much and putting out that many releases and you know, I think obviously some people are like really prolific producers um, and that's just like what they do. Like they just, they just come out with like these bangers all the time. Um, And then it's a case of actually I've got too much music. Where am I going to place it all? And then that's quite a good problem to have when there's so much of it, but then it's kind of frustrating because you're sitting on all this amazing music. But I think like taking that pressure off yourself as an artist and thinking, right, I don't actually need to be putting this much music out. Like, I don't need to like from a PR point of view, like I can work a release. I'm thinking of like one of my artists I worked with last year and like he had a really strong release on Anjuna Deep at the end of the year. And like we rode the success of that like from a month beforehand or so and then right till the end of the year. And I'm still referring to it now because it was like beautiful like the music with Simon Doty, the music is incredible and it really strong. And there was a story behind the release and it was like that perfect sort of release to work where like everything falls into place and yeah, it's just like there's so many angles you can take with it and you don't need, if he had like another EP coming out a month later, then we have to kind of rush that and then, and then move on to the next one or kind of be like, Oh, okay, well we're pushing both these releases, which is obviously still great. But then people like we've said, people have a limited amount of time. So if someone's reading an article and in an interview with you, and then there's like music links for you to listen to, like it's, like, it's like an album or something on, like, streaming and stuff. Like, the first few tracks always have more listens. It's just because people's attention span is just shorter. Mm. So I just think you're better off having, like, really good quality standout music less regularly. Mm. Basically mm-hmm. how you did it last year, which was really smart and has then taken you to this new level.
0: Yeah, totally. And the thing for me as well, like, having... Been part of a, a successful label for five six years with Chapter Twenty Four, which we uh, recently brought the curtain down on. Uh Do you? Oh, did you not know about that? No, we uh, we've uh, we've closed the label. Oh, I
2: didn't know.
0: Yes, we had a little closing ceremony on the uh, on the winter solstice because we're so hippy dippy and oh. woo woo, and it was it was really lovely because the three of us realised that. We had gotten to a point, our lives are completely different than what they looked like five, six years ago when we first started it, when we first had the idea for it. And again, this also plays into the conversation because we spent a year working out what we were going to do as a label before we even told anyone we were even going to start a label. Like we Mm. worked really hard and thought long and hard about what's the message what's the impact, what's the story behind it. That's why the tagline of the label was stories and sound because we wanted yeah. to bring that narrative structure, that hero's journey, if you will, yeah. back into music because we felt like it had been lost to an extent. And we'd found like an amazing sort of, you know, enclave of music around that time as well. That was like, you know, mm-hmm. Barda Records, Stay Oky, that kind of thing. And we were really inspired by that. But we got to a point where, and, and again, this again plays into the conversation. We got to a point where we said to ourselves, we've got nothing left to say. Like we've got no stories left to tell. Yeah. So therefore, we need to bring the curtain down on this. And it plays into all of the aspects of what we've just been talking about, because I'm a firm believer in you need to leave people wanting more.
1: Definitely, it's like when you watch a TV show, and it's like you definitely should have finished that at the end of season four or five, and then they drag it out for another three series and literally ruin all your favorite characters, and it's unwatchable. But you still persevere, and then the ending's just like crap anyway, mm. and you just like, what was the point? Yeah, definitely agree with you. I think you did the right thing. Yeah,
0: totally. So. And the three of us weren't really in a position to be able to keep the label running on our own, you know, and still keep the spirit of of what made it so, so important. Yeah. And, you know, from a, a label perspective, we went through a time when we were pounding music out at a rate that was ungodly. Like, we look back on it and we said to ourselves, like, we probably did like a year's worth of absolutely murderously big music in like <laughs> s- like three months, you know. And we were getting like you know like, emails off like big DJs and like people like b traits, like Brianna sends us sends us an email going, "Can you guys just slow down? Because
2: really, we
0: can't keep up with like a the le- the amount of music, and it's all incredible." Like, you're almost not giving yourself an opportunity to promo this because you guys have just become such a source of incredible music that, like, we had DJs emailing us saying, like, can you slow down a little bit because I'm now playing sets and they're wall-to-wall, Chapter 24. Like, like we're not really... It's
1: so good. It's
0: good, but also as well, like, we as a label didn't give some of the music time to breathe. Yeah. Because... We were just firing stuff out and we just wanted to make the impact. So labels can make the same kind of, not mistakes, but they can have the same kind of approach as artists in a, in a, labels in a way. Labels definitely
1: have that, I think.
0: Yeah. yeah. I've seen some labels... labels. Sorry, come.
1: on. No, no, sorry. I was just going to say, I think, like, yeah, I totally agree. I think labels, like, there's just too many releases. I can I can imagine what it's like, right? You start a label, you have this vision in your mind what you want, you start getting artists who are releasing that sort of music you're really inspired by them you want to have them as returning artists then more music's coming to you you're getting demos all the time loads of it's really good because as we were just saying like the quality and also the fact that the technology is available to more people so then you've got all this great music and you want to have a platform for it like this is total speculation but this is why i think like lee burridge has so many labels because Like all day I dream, it's like, okay, well, if I do one a month, then I'm basically full after like, you know, a certain, like a handful of people getting in touch. And then it's like, okay, and then I want these people. So then it's like, well, what do you do with all the other music? Do you carry on putting out music and then have releases every like one, two, three weeks? Or do you start another label that then you place that music on if it's slightly different? And I think that's the best way to play it so that then they still have that time. But if, Especially with you in chapter 24, like you can't be doing that. Like you have, it's a passion project along with everything else that you do. So there isn't really the scope to be like, oh, let's just start like a second label so that we can then, and still, I guess, even though you're then giving it more time on another label, it's still that thing of like, well, you're putting more music out there still. So it's like, yeah, it's still the same issue in a way Hmm. just coming from a different label
0: yeah no exactly exactly
1: it's really difficult no
0: it's it's very very difficult because you also want to do right by the artists themselves as well so again like the labels themselves can fall foul of that issue of like we've constantly got to get stuff out there i mean i've seen some labels that like releasing something every week
1: yeah it's intense um i mean i think the thing with some of these labels that do that This is why it is good to have your own PR because obviously some labels do have PR. Um, If you have like a really special release coming up on a label and their turn, like, and their kind of schedule is very quick, or there's a lot of music coming out and it's very busy, then that is where it's worth getting your own PR because otherwise, if you're kind of leaving stuff to an in house team, it just literally, I mean, it's just a case of like what's realistic. How much time have they got? To be working on that one mm. before the next one comes along, um because you and you can't be pushing things really far in advance. Because how is that fair on the artist who is sooner, like who's who's really up sooner? Like I've done label PR for years, and that is that thing. It's like I can't start working on this yet because I because I'm still working on this one, and you have to be fair to everyone. But then it is hard because they they don't you, you aren't really given the music time to breathe, like you said. Mm.
0: No, it's true. And the thing as well, I, I reflect upon the old model of the industry where you had you know, an artist or a band, they would write an album, they would then go out, spend two years touring that album.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Various singles come off the back of it. Each release is kind of like drip fed into the next one so all the music gets a bit more time to breathe. And then by yeah. the time they come off the road... 18 months two years later they've lived a lot of personal life experience and experience on the road so they've got Mm -hmm. enough inspiration to come back into the studio and they have a fresh energy and a fresh impetus in order to write new and profound music which would then go into the next stage of things which is actually I think a, a cycle that could do with making something of a comeback because, you know, I think this, like, I call it, like, the Spotification of music where, you know, Daniel Eck is coming out with comments, like, now saying, you know, you're going to have to be constantly releasing music in order to be, like, any good to Spotify, basically, which Mm -hmm. I think is a bit of a rough attitude to have, quite frankly. And I read a really interesting article in The Guardian over the weekend that, like, put Spotify in a completely different light for me. It was really great because one of the artists they were interviewing said, Spotify is not a music streaming platform. Spotify sells advertising, but they use your music to do it. Mm. And I think that's a really interesting thing. I mean, this statement will probably get me podcast thrown off Spotify now, if you hear it. So it was good while it lasted. But, (laughs) you know, I think there is now out of it. and, And we've had a lot of conversations with the artists that are members of ours at NYT about... You know, providing themselves with revenue models and providing themselves yeah. with platforms that will probably be more amenable to doing their own PR in future because I think a lot of people are going to move towards either self-releasing mm. or they're going to move towards possibly, like some artists already have done, releasing tracks just on platforms like Bandcamp for example, where the lack of tour and revenue means a focus is thrown on the current streaming model, the current model of downloads, the deals that are being signed with various labels, and how people are going to pay the rent. Mm. And that's going to be really interesting and that's going to be a massive shift for the industry. So, you know, I'd be interested to kind of get your thoughts on that about like... Is that going to be advantageous from a PR perspective, do you think?
1: I think you've just said so many interesting things. <laughs> Sorry. Like, I'm trying to like, <laughs> roll my head at the same time. I'd be like, I need to say something like that. So just a quick one on the touring thing and the structure, because I was really glad you said that because I've had that conversation recently. When this all kicked off and suddenly it was like all these, like, especially like these big successful DJs are suddenly like panic stations, haven't got any touring. This has literally been their bread, like that's what makes them money. Like the music hasn't been really making, obviously it's different for different people, but like the touring is where like, you know, when you were looking at artists like Solomon and stuff like that, like, like huge, huge fees, right? You're getting paid loads of money, like traveling the world, touring, whatever. When that stops, it's like, okay, well actually what have I got? And obviously some artists have always been the ones who have been more sensible. We might use that word. Um, it's like they might have started a label, they might have started like something which can continue. I think some of like the larger labels have had like kind of record sales last year. Um, I don't want to name any names in case I'm not supposed to know about that. But yeah, so like, so it's kinda of like you've still got those things happening and obviously some artists who are big enough they can also then have like, you know, merch for that label and they can be having a lot of other things happening. So you've got that revenue stream at the same time when COVID happened obviously we're not all prepared for a pandemic. Like we weren't all like, okay, yeah, here's our like plan. But at the same time, I think it shows that there is actually quite a dangerous kind of like flaw in the system. When you look at like electronic music in comparison to like bands or like pop music and stuff still now, you know, like with pop music, you have someone working on an album for however long and then they take the album touring And the music is a big part of what makes them the money. And sometimes they actually don't really make much from the tour. It's more like because of the cost that goes into it as well. So, and then they're back in the studio, like making the next album and and it kind of goes in that cycle so that then they've actually been able to look at this now and think, okay, right. Well, everything's flipped. I've had to cancel my touring. I'm going to make an album now. You know, you've got people like, charlie xcx and like harry styles and stuff like that and i'm showing sure my like pop interests here a little bit but you know i just think it's really important it's a really good opportunity for us to actually look at other genres and think okay what is their business model can we emulate that in any way because the system of flat out touring playing like three different countries in a weekend You know, as you've said before, it's not sustainable. It's damaging to people's health. It's not keeping people happy. Um, If you aren't a massive artist as well, it's exhausting. Like the actual strain on your body, you're not traveling a business class. You're traveling, economy, you're on like, you know, you're packed in with everyone else and then you're expected to play a really brilliant show. And then you're back on the road again like a few hours later and it's just not sustainable. But it's also the main income for you as an artist Well, if that gets taken away, you need to think, okay, well, how am I actually going to make money? Like, what is the other way that I'm going to make money? Like, I think I was just reading that Bicep article, um, for the independent. And I mean, I just think they're great. They've just got such a good attitude to it all. And they're kind of, you know, saying like about all the plague waves and stuff and how awful it is that artists are playing these events. And they have basically obviously had just as difficult a year as everyone else, but it's like okay actually we're gonna write an album we're gonna do an album in this time because we can't be playing gigs and because even if we were offered them we wouldn't play them because it's irresponsible and it's unethical so I think it's like the old model as it were still exists in some some genres and I think actually works really well and I it's very easy for me to say I think we should go to that because I don't physically know how we would do that in a business sense like financially but I definitely think there is something that we can take from that and I kind of feel that while bicep I'm not saying they've done that from like the pop world or whatever but I think their idea of having like creating an album in this time I mean that seems like the the obvious option do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like yeah, that totally makes sense to me.
0: I mean, yeah, it does to to people like us because you know it's like, well, what else are you gonna do? You know, if you're yeah. also gonna be socially responsible and also keep yourself safe, then the best mm. thing to do is to tuck yourself in, get in the studio, get nice and cozy, and then see what happens. You know that that is definitely the the, the best way forward. And you know, I agree with you on so many levels about that constant touring and thing. Because, you know, I think the signs were there Mm. when you look at the way that the mental health aspect of the music industry, the dance music industry, particularly in our experience, became such a a forefront topic. Because that was really, when you look at it now, now we've been really forced to stop. That really was the, the warning sign that, like the wheels are starting to come off the wagon here from maybe not a financial perspective but certainly from a human perspective Um, and you know we're not we're not anything without the health of of you know the uh, these artists and the managers and everybody else behind the scenes that are equally pressured in, in very very different ways and you know i think we were talking as well about like you know, the, the, the quality of the music and stuff like that as well. And again, as these cycles kind of get faster and faster and faster, more and more of these things kind of go out of the window and you don't realize it because you're just too busy on, on the merry-go-round going faster and faster to, you know, realize that the world's changed kind of around you a little bit. So, I mean, for me, I think, you know, you were talking about you don't know how we would move to that model. I've always advised people, and this is what I did after I had like a major meltdown in like 2016, like after, I, after I'd worked with Sasha and after I moved to California and I was touring quite a bit and it kind of didn't really agree with me, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, when I did go on tour to Asia and Australia in like 2018, I decided to do it a completely different way. So I learned how to meet the industry at my own level. Mm. and like we were saying before like you know there really isn't such a thing as making it really yeah in in the traditional sense there's a level of success that you're comfortable with because it works for you and it works for your lifestyle and it works Mm. for what you know you want to get out of life and i basically when i went on this tour and i did like melbourne sydney brisbane and then did a couple of gigs in bali it was really interesting because you know, I spent time in each place, like I spent like a week in each destination and I got to like really enjoy being around the vicinity, got to see the place. And I was away for a month. I mean, I only played like the five gigs, but absolutely loved it because the it wasn't so much of a rush and it wasn't so like hectic and kind of like, you know, charged with like stress hormones if you know what I mean because it's there it, it wasn't I wasn't chasing myself from one place to another so I think that is almost kind of like how people are gonna have to do it they're gonna have to try and do it on their own level and maybe this bicep situation is a model in that because they've written an album they're now putting it out there and it would mm. be interesting that if there is a degree of touring that comes back that they tore that album And it might actually provide a little bit of a a turning point for people. Because if that's successful as a a tour and album cycle, we might Mm. witness a bit of a shift. Because, I mean, I've I've been noticing a bit of a shift as well in general where, you know, DJs are becoming artists in their own right. Mm -hmm. And the art of DJing is changing as well. So this might be the inevitable sort of next step in it, if you know what I mean, where we we're moving more and more towards like an artist-led model rather than a you know traveling DJ with a bag of records over his shoulder going from one club to the next so you know I think it might be an indication of like the the industry kind of growing up but it's going to be really interesting I mean how do you I mean obviously everything's so unknown at the moment but how do you see it kind of opening up again
1: Oh, God. I know this is a this is a really difficult question. Do you mean like as in actual touring and stuff, like, uh, like shows and stuff? Or do you mean just kind of on a really general? I mean,
0: yeah, touring in particular. And, you know, it'd be interesting to kind of talk about where we might be a year, a couple of years, five years from now, you know?
1: Yeah. Oh, God, I would love you to tell me because at the moment I'm just like, what's going on? <laughs> so like finishing the old Christmas chocolate, just thinking, OK, <laughs> let's just like cling on to like December 2020. No,
0: OK, <laughs> now Tuesday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, what's the next day? OK, just go a day at a time. No, I think um, I think so first off, I think like the the fact that there is a vaccine is like literally I'm like telling myself that every day. Hmm like there was a vaccine stuff is changing like things are going to be able to open up from like a more from a more kind of covid perspective of like the future i think yeah i mean i don't know how it's all going to happen i think i think we're going to see from other countries how they're doing it you know like we're seeing gigs happening in is it australia i saw someone post this on new zealand new zealand Josh it was the butler. butler yeah yeah. Um yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, so like obviously it's like they have like they're declared like COVID free. You know, he's actually playing gigs there. Like, you know, I think when every it feels so different now because I can't imagine that ever getting to the point because it's been so long since we could do anything, and then in the summer we could go to bars but we couldn't dance. Which just felt like some sort of dystopian nightmare. Um but like I just feel like we can see how once everyone's vaccinated or once that happens that we can actually get back to that. And there's like, obviously already shows getting booked for this year because I mean, they have to, who knows whether what will go ahead, but you know, like there's like a Sasha Digweed show book for November in like Glasgow. And I'm like, that is in the diary. I'm like, get that down there. Be there <laughs> um, like get me just surrounded by a load of other like sweaty ravers. Like that is just what I want so bad right now. Um, So I think on that level, like things are just going to gradually get back to normal. Um, But I think obviously a lot of, sadly, a lot of clubs won't survive, I think. Um, And a lot of venues we will potentially lose, um, which is really heartbreaking. At the same time, on the flip side, I feel like, I feel like the the, kind of the first option is going to be clubbing in your hometown, I think. Do you know what I mean? Because things are going to open up a bit, but then that might still be restricted and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think that this can be the opportunity for like that kind of homegrown talent. You know, those like absolutely brilliant support acts when you go and see someone play in your home, like in your hometown or whatever. And then there's like some someone on first and you're like, what is this? And like a lot of those people don't re- really get the time of day at the moment because there's so many like kind of, artists who then sell tickets who are then traveling around and then you know what I mean and it's kind of oh well that's an easy sell and I think we're gonna be focusing more on like our own cities like the homegrown talent the people who are based there um the nights that you know we might have actually almost even started out going to before we then start traveling you know like to kind of a destination to see someone or see a special show or something I just think it's going to allow a lot more of that. And I think we're going to see some really great, like kind of passion projects coming up in different like towns and cities across, well, kind of across the world, but yeah, like I'm just thinking like UK, especially like because of what we know, um, which I think could be really cool and could bring some really exciting new music and new names to the forefront as well. And I feel like press are kind of on that as well. I feel like, Obviously, Mixmag, like, print is on pause, but I just feel like Mixmag and DJ Mag, I feel like they're giving quite a lot of time to people who might have only released a couple of tracks, might be really new, but there's just something about them. And, and, you know, I feel like... I also feel like a lot of the larger artists have potentially made a few missteps over the last year, and people don't have the time for that anymore. I think with everything that's happened, I think fans are just just aren't being as accepting as they might have been in the past about kind of slightly questionable behavior, um, or questionable kind of ethics. And I think we're heading into a time where people don't want that anymore. People want to support people who are good people, who are kind and who are caring about like whether it's the planet or the scene or their fans I just think we could be heading into a really interesting time worldwide for that, where, you know, people who are kind of putting basically what you're putting out there, you're kind of getting back, Mm. which is how it should be. Mm. Um, So I think that could be a really hopeful thing that I think we've already seen elements of um, with people kind of getting called out for questionable antics and behavior over the last year, but also these kind of homegrown talents who might not have had as much kind of like airtime I guess actually getting attention and getting the chance to kind of be promoted and do well
0: Mm. no I totally agree I've been saying this to a number of people that I think initially is going to be like local scenes and it's almost gonna go back to like resident DJs in a lot of ways and more intimate spaces because initially we're not going to be able to get together in great numbers. So, you know, those smaller venues are going to become absolutely critical. I mean, yeah, (laughs) it might not be a a lot of them left, quite frankly, with everything that's going on at the moment. So there is a challenge in that regard. But in terms of just purely on a cultural and musical level, that's the way it's going to be because I think travel is still going to be very, very difficult. I think there's still going to be restrictions. Uh, as all viruses do, there are going to be more mutations from various parts of the world. And, you know, even though a vaccine is going to be undoubtedly a good thing, it definitely, for me, it doesn't represent the end of the matter. And yeah. again, I don't want to be a party pooper and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer on any of this, but it's important to note that, you know, the vaccine is literally only part of of the solution to this issue and you know i was listening to something this morning there tulsi gabbard was on joe rogan and she's like the only u.s politician i respect basically and she was talking about how there's a big misrepresentation going on about the vaccine at the moment where Mm. it will stop you from getting really ill and it will stop you from dying but it doesn't stop you from getting COVID and it doesn't stop you from being asymptomatic and spreading it
1: yeah, the second one definitely, I think, is a thing, which is why. I mean, I don't know whether we should go into the whole like, like anti vaxxing thing. No, um, no, let's just, let's
0: just, just stay clear to that, just, like, shall we?
1: Glide over that one. But yeah, there's the whole thing of like, you know, it is. I I totally I see where you're coming from. It is only fixing part of the problem because it potentially, yeah, it doesn't stop you from then carrying it and passing it on to someone else. I don't actually know. I haven't. I'm basically giving myself a bit of a not too much COVID news
2: Mm.
1: at the moment because I just find that that helps me stay positive and kind of keep my eye on the goal of what I'm working on at the time. Um, But yeah, I had heard that that was like an element of the vaccine, Mm. Um, that it doesn't necessarily stop you from being asymptomatic and giving it to someone else.
0: Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's a very... It's a very uh, emotive subject, and you know it can be quite provocative. But you know, in terms of like keeping it to music, uh, I do think it's, it's yeah. definitely going to help matters, and it's definitely going to help you know the, the the scene sort of open up again. So it provides tremendous opportunity, like you were saying, for homegrown talents and yeah, those exactly. like resident DJs that you don't normally see uh, really get the rub because obviously you know a lot of people, as it was previous to the pandemic, you know people were, were starting to kind of save up and be a lot more kind of selective about what kind of events they were going to what kind of festivals they were attending that kind of thing whereas now i just think you know people are just like get me on that dance floor i don't care who's playing so it is going to provide a very exciting opportunity for some new artists to really step forward because i also think that on the higher end of things Uh, there's going to be a lot of artists who are going to have to look at their own situation and possibly adjust their expectations around things like fees and travel and stuff like that in order to keep the bookings kind of coming in. You know, uh, in one of our previous episodes, we had uh, Patrice Baumel on and he was even saying like we did that back in the summer last year and P- Patrice's attitude was I don't care like if you can get me on a plane and get me somewhere I'll go play for free I don't care <laughs> like yeah. just get me in front of a load of people who want to dance and that that's what I'll do you know so yeah. I think very much like there's going to need to be a bit of a you know a bit of a not a reality check because I think this has been enough of a reality check as it is
1: Yeah. but I think I know there's going to be uh
0: there's, there's going to need to be a bit of an adjustment there don't you think
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, to be honest, I think the level, like the actual fees that some of the top artists have been getting paid is actually bonkers. And I just don't really understand. I mean, obviously, then there's the whole EDM world. I'm not even going to touch on that because like the fees are ridiculous. But I just don't really see. I feel like, yeah, you know, we've said like there's good things to have come from this. And it's important to focus on like the good things that have come from the last year as well. I think one of them is that like it's not sustainable to be paying that much to be paying like a six figure sum of someone for like a two hour set and then ticket prices have to go up to accommodate that and then drink prices have to go up and then you know where where is there's just somewhere where there is just something not working there and I just think without I guess without like there being something kind of breaking that cycle I don't know how we get we would get past that Mm. because it's just going to keep going. Um, So I think that is something positive that could could have come from this because there isn't going to be that money there anymore. And also, you know, some artists who might think that certain clubs are kind of not on their level or they're kind of, they've outgrown that venue, which everyone's entitled to think, you know, you have, you grow, whatever. They might actually have to think, okay I actually know like yeah I, I'm it's like we just said about Patrice like, I'm so desperate to play I just want to play like just get me on that plane get me somewhere like when, when it's safe and when I can and I kind of think there will be I think that kind of level of like you know maybe being quite as selective as an artist for where you're going to play might not be there as much anymore you might not be as precious about where you play because it's like I just want to play people who want to hear me play I want to dance and I just want to do my thing. Because I think also this year will have been quite difficult when people are very big touring artists. Like obviously, yeah, there's a positive where they have that free time and they have their weekends and stuff like that. But I can imagine there's an element where it's like you lose a bit of your identity because you aren't playing to these crowds of people anymore who want to hear you play. And while that's must still a lot of artists still talk about getting nerves still, and like still being really nervous or getting anxious about playing and stuff before they go on. But I think the reward and that kind of dopamine hit you must get, or like all the different happy chemicals you must get when you play a set. I mean, you know that yourself, like to a crowd of people who are loving what you're playing and came to see you play, like having that taken away from you for a year must be really difficult, mm. at least a year. Um. So yeah, I think, I think, I think it will be, a really interesting phase when things start moving again.
0: Yeah, and I can imagine there's going to be a degree of anxiety about it because I think a lot of people may be feeling almost a little bit afraid to get back involved as well on some kind of level, you know, with everything that's gone on and, you know, how we've almost been conditioned a little bit to kind of, like, you know, stay away from people. That's
1: I feel that. Me. I feel that 100%. Like, when I started thinking that Ibiza, like, IMS was going to happen... Which I don't think it is, um, but I had it in my head that I thought IMS would happen, and and at first I was like, oh my god, I can't, I just can't wait, I can't wait to get back there, I can't wait to do this. But then you start thinking about it, it's like, you know, at the moment, like I'm watching a TV show from like, I don't know, whenever, and and everyone's too close to each other, and I'm like, oh, like you know, and it's crazy how much it's got into our heads already. Like, oh, they're all a bit too close to each other. We're like, oh, and and I think, I think as human beings I think we very naturally fall back into habits so I think that at first it will be quite jarring like I had this sort of like us all being IMS and suddenly everyone from the music industry is there at the same time and like you're hugging again or you're close to people again and you're having to be your best self because you're trying to kind of network and this and the other and I was like oh god I don't know if I can do it and there's an element of excitement there but there's also that element of anxiety i think everyone will have that mm. but then i also think that we will grow out of that quite quickly in the same way that you know we had a socially distance we did that and then things eased off a bit in the summer and then i think we all just kind of nat- you so naturally fall back into like you know standing next to someone and then being like oh hang on we're not far enough apart from each other or like or you know you kind of just it's so like habit is such a strong thing that i think after that initial anxiety we will get back to what feels normal for us as soon as we can Mm. kind of thing Mm. i think there might
0: be a a hopefully a greater degree of compassion
1: yeah i think you're right
0: Mm.
1: i think i think this year while actually causing quite a lot of anxiety for people. I think things that we might have been anxious about or worried about that actually when you put in the perspective of life and everything else that's going on, it's like you haven't had time to deal with that this year. You know what I mean? Like you've had things that you might have dwelled on or been upset about or been anxious about normally. Well, there hasn't been the headspace to do that. We've just been having to focus on like surviving through our jobs or through whatever or caring about our kind of close ones, like our closest family and stuff. And like I just think you sort of have to... I, I hope and think it will have put things in perspective for quite a lot of people.
0: Mm. Yeah, you hope so. And I mean, I've, I, I noticed it as well, even just sort of before the pandemic, as I mentioned, we were going through that sort of real focus on mental health. Yeah. Which was super important. And I did notice actually like from year to year, like using IMS as a, an example, because I've been every year since like 2010. I think I've missed one, I missed one in like 10 years. And mm-hmm. I noticed like in sort of 2018, 2019, I think it was with that one, like everyone just completely changed and it was just like a much more pleasant, softer kind of like vibe, if you know what I mean, where I think people maybe yeah. kind of realised because obviously we'd gone through, you know, the loss of like quite a few like influential artists at that point, And I think it rocked the industry to its core. And I think it, yeah. I think it brought, in those moments, I think it brought the best out in people because I just felt like, you know, people had a lot more time and yeah. there was a lot more like, are, are you okay? You know, a lot more consideration yeah. and a lot more compassion for people. So, you know, in that situation, it was already starting to happen that little bit of a shift. And I think now, if there's any situation that's going to help us to understand how good we had it and also how we can improve what we had so when we do eventually receive it once again we can make it better and we can improve on it and make it work for more people so it's more sustainable it's more enjoyable it's more relaxing it's more Mm -hmm. nourishing in a weird way you know it's more life affirming in a lot of different ways i think i think it's it's going to be exciting and you know i i I'm personally sort of quite committed to, to helping that sort of happen. And, you know, as I say, one of the big positives through it all for me was creating through MYT a community of people who could really rely on each other
1: and yeah, could really,
0: really nice. find support at the right time. I mean, our regular sort of masterclasses were just like, you know, people were literally saying, I only know what time of day it is when you're online. Like when I know it's, it, it's seven o'clock in the evening because I know because you're online. Yeah, you know, and providing that's, that kind of structure for people, and I think that's going to be the, you know, being able to really build that community because, you know, I got I got to a point, sort of like you know, partway through last year where I was like, I love the music, I love the mm. culture, I love what it represents, I love its potential for it to be transformative. I really have started to dislike the industry that surrounds it, and, mm. and that's why I've kind of almost like. Not took a step back,
2: you saying that. but I've yeah. I've
0: really funneled myself into where I feel like I need to be spending the vast majority of my time, which is with people on on yeah. the front line, and you know, hopefully, out of this situation, we'll get we'll get some more and more of that. So I suppose you know, this time that we have now is all about preparing ourselves for that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And how do
0: we prepare artists for for what to kind of come because you know a lot of them are potentially going to be on the end of some amazing opportunities going forward so in terms of like you know any sort of specific advice you would give an artist from your perspective right now I mean what what would you say
1: oh it's a difficult question with everything I think taking not including the COVID thing or kind of including it but more just like looking at this year in general and kind of how things have developed Hmm. I think more than ever, and I guess whether this is affected by COVID or not, but I think more than ever it's important to really understand your target market. Um and like, you know, it's answering those questions yourself about what makes you special, what makes you different. And thinking where you want to be, you know, you don't want to be getting caught in that idea of like churning out music for labels because that's the label you want to be in or be on and, and that's like the crew you want to be in. Like we were saying. But I think having an idea of like where you want to be in a year's time, where you want to be in five years time and how you are going to get there? That's another conversation I'll have quite a lot in like coaching and stuff is like, you know, they're kind of, there's so many things to look at now as well. You know, there's PR, there's social media, there's marketing, there's management, there's, there's gigs like it's, and it can be quite overwhelming. And also it can be quite Impossible. So it's kind of thinking, what can you do yourself? What are the things that are the most important for you? You know, like if you, if your target market is like quite young, then you need to be keeping your finger on the pulse with social media, and like the the latest trends or the latest platforms. You know, things like TikTok, and then also being aware of, like what might come after TikTok, mm. because there will be something because it's quite a fickle demographic, mm. um, and if that's your market, if your market's a little bit older, it might be thinking about like you know not just social media but also like focusing more on like your kind of streaming platforms and like spotify and whether you know you actually want to like you kind of have to think about what your actual goal is like yeah you want to be putting music out and obviously it's important to focus on what means something to you like in your heart even though it sounds cheesy but it's really important and also like on a creative level but i do think having that business mindset is important as well you do have to see it as a business like okay so who am I trying to reach what's gonna be the best way to do that is that gonna be through social media if you've only got a certain amount of money to invest in someone else like that's especially where it's really important is you know do I want to focus on PR like PR I think I mean obviously I'm biased but you can't really go wrong with PR if you have if you have records coming out if you have yeah if you have releases if you have gigs if you have hype around you like like PR is gonna really give you that's where you get like your value for money because you've got someone out there backing you putting you forward for things all the time like constantly keeping you especially if it's like a retainer or something like constantly keeping you like in their mind when they're coming across opportunities and presenting those opportunities to you and also consulting like I feel like the role of like a publicist has changed a lot, especially over the last year or so. And there's a lot of work that I'll do that kind of actually goes into the, what you would have classed as kind of classic management, like the day-to-day management, or even like longer-term strategy, like advising on like which labels are going to be best for that music and and that sort of thing and, and helping with those connections in the industry. And I think also the thing whether this is with a publicist actually or not, whether this is with someone that you trust or like, this is why MIT is so good. Like I think more than ever, it's important to have that trusted person that you can confide in and you can get advice from, you know, that in this day and age in music is more important than ever because aside from the music, where you want to be, what your goal is, what you want to achieve, like there's also so much like so many kind of new areas to navigate and there's all like the kind of ethics behind things as well. And like, there's been all these dramas over the last year and it's like I've said before, like some artists didn't act exactly how they should have done and that won't be forgotten. And, and I think it really helps having someone there to give you that advice. Um, so yeah. And if, if you can't afford PR, if you can't afford, you know, to sign up to something, maybe there's a way that you can kind of do like a trade with someone else who is working in the industry or is trying to work in the industry and the two of you can kind of help each other and like advise each other in different things um, because it is a bit tough. I mean, it's tough anyway, but as an artist, you do have to be across like social media. You do have to be across market. You have you have to know and you also should be reading I've gone on from a bit of a tangent here with like, I should have given some simple like bullet pointed advice, but I just don't do that. Um, I think also coming up with like, you should be like reading like magazines. You should be reading blogs. You should be reading the sites that you want to be on. This is like an age old bit of advice that I think is more crucial than ever now. But people will be like, I'll start working with someone new and they'll be like, oh, I want to be on RA. And it'll be like, have you read anything on on, on RA in like the last year? Because you literally do not fit with the artists that they're supporting. So like, yeah, that's a great like long-term goal. If you think, okay, like I'm doing really well, this is where I'm at, but I want to be more niche or I want to be a bit cooler. And then, you know, you need to have a strategy in place, which then in time can get you on RA. But a lot of these people haven't actually, when they say this to you, they haven't actually read it themselves mm. in a long time. They haven't read interviews there, they haven't read reviews and they kind of, they just know that, that's where they should be wanting to be on Mm. so I think as an artist a key bit of advice is to read the blogs that you want to be on and have a clear idea of where and obviously that is also a publicist's job to give you that advice but I think if you're going to a publicist as well it just gives you so much more value for your money as well if you've actually looked into that yourself as well and you have an idea um I would also say that I think more than ever showing your personality and like we were saying before about your story is really important. Um, I think the, the time when it used to be, you know, all about the music and that's the focus. I think that's changed, especially in the last year. You know, I think if you have political opinions, I think you should be putting them out there. If you have views on things that are going on, I think you should be putting them out there you know obviously your music is like the thing you want to become really known for you want to make a career out of but you want people to buy into like you as a brand as well and like what you stand for and I know for me especially after the last year it's kind of like right well where do I want to put my money if I'm buying records like who do I want to support you know who's brought who's given something back to the industry or who's spoken out against this situation or who's shown that they care about like the environment or like the community or like their fans or, you know, who's been doing like free quarantine streams to keep everyone sane, who's been doing free, like ask me anything to keep, you know, I just think basically being a good person, showing your opinions on things and not being afraid to like show your personality and be honest about like the way that you feel about things and your opinions um, finding someone you trust reading yeah they're, they're my key bits of advice i would say I, that's not too I, bad I, that's not too bad i love
0: it when guests go on tangents because like every time i was it, coming yeah. out with a had a question and then you like answered it in the next sentence it was brilliant it was really really (laughs) cool it's like okay i'll just light light the blue touch paper let it go let it go let it rip and yeah it's it's all fantastic advice it really really is and you know for me like i sum it up a little bit more succinctly like my two pieces of advice has always been make a good brew and don't be a dick (laughs) and i added a third one recently which was don't be shit basically make a good brew which and if you want to investigate it a little bit deeper it's like don't be the type of person that thinks making a brew is below you.
1: Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I like that. Right. Yeah.
0: Everyone mm-hmm. I was taught very early on, working for Cream, assisting people like incredible producers like Mike Cave in the studio who like has worked with like, Lewis Capaldi recently and he's worked with Bob Dylan and all sorts of stuff, he's an incredible producer. He's the guy, he mixes and masters all of the uh, camel fat stuff as well. Like, we're talking, he's oh, right yeah. across the board. Like, he's, again, an incredible, like, as closest as a mentor as I've had in the pro audio industry and in the music production game, basically. And, you know, he taught me that everyone brings a vibe. And, you know, sometimes he'd have me in the studio just because I was, like, hilarious and just, like, had a good vibe with the artist he was working with. And I'd have to go to the sandwich shop and make cups of tea and empty ashtrays and stuff. But, you know, mm-hmm. that, and, I, and I was 26 at the time. So, you know, it was like, yeah. okay, well I'm going to have to you know, sort of not eat shit for an example for for, you know, I would I would do it anyway just to be in the room, you know, because it's just it's just a yeah, good time. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. don't be a dick is fairly self-explanatory. Don't be shit is like, well if you know you're doing things that are knowingly, you're you you are knowingly doing things that are making you shit. Stop. Yeah. Whatever stop that doing. is, just stop doing it. It's dead easy. It's really, really easy. Like that's my—they're my three steps to success, basically, in in all walks of life, not just the music industry. And yeah, it's it good. To- totally like, and then everything that you're talking about is is absolutely, absolutely brilliant, especially around strategy, and especially around understanding where it is that you want to go, because yeah, that is kind of what I've been helping people with for like the last decade, basically. Yeah, which is to understand where they are first and foremost be able to accept fully where they are right now and also take a degree of responsibility for it if it isn't somewhere where you would like to be and then look at where you would like to be from a very smart perspective like everyone's heard of like smart goals you know Mm. specific measurable yada 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 you know achievable realistic timely that kind of thing we do smart air goals we add in an element of like you know right okay it needs to be uh, all of those things and there needs to be some sort of like reward at the end of it yeah. as well as you know something that is or like, like the, actually uh, worthwhile doing over a certain yeah. time front and I'm, I'm reading a really interesting book at the moment uh, and it's by a couple of guys they run this class at stanford and it's called life design so huh. these guys, they used to work for Apple. So one of them, I can't remember the names, that the, names, the guy's name's Dave something or other. And he was the head of the design team that designed the first ever mouse for Apple. Oh, cool. And then he went on. He was the co-founder of, you know, Electronic Arts, the games company. He was mm-hmm. co-founder of EA after that. Oh, my God. And basically, he teaches this class at Stanford for a giggle because, you know, he's sorted, That's like mean. he's set for life, basically. And yeah. his whole thing or their thing is like, Right. We take product design, yeah. architecture, and ways of working and we apply it to people's lives. Mm-hmm. And we basically do what we would do if we were designing a thing, like a phone or a you know, a gadget or whatever. And they talk about like right, we're gonna create prototypes, but those are gonna be prototypes of your life. And then Mm -hmm. you're going to get curious about it and then you're going to investigate it and you're going to dip your toe in the water a little bit and you're going to create these like three lives for yourself and then you're going to find out which one is the right one for you because they make a very good point like at the beginning of the book and there's loads of TED talks and stuff uh, that these guys have done and they were talking about like people that they've helped where like you know this person was like a big shot in HR and big corporate, you know, success. But her big passion was like, you know, Italian food. And she had this really romantic notion of like quitting it all and opening this Italian deli. And, you know, it was going to be like living in Tuscany and stuff like that. So she pulled the trigger. She quit. She found this deli. You know, she did it up and it was a great success. And she got there and she absolutely fucking hated every minute of (laughs) it. And it wasn't what she was meant to be doing. and there's like again like and they even talk about like you know people go oh you know follow your passion and follow your dream and stuff like that they refer to it as like a dysfunctional belief and they're like you know maybe what you think you're passionate about isn't what your happiness is connected to you know maybe there's lots of different yous and you will have lots of different careers because like i've I've just kind of gone through this process because like i've decided as i've mentioned before that i'm not really going to tour anymore Mm. i mean i play the odd gig for for for, you know for fun but i'm sort of moving in a different direction and you know i've i've not really like outside of a few tracks i wrote last year i've not really written much music because i've been struggling for inspiration and to be honest with you my my sort of focus has been on being of service to people and helping the community out with NYT. But my creativity is coming out in different ways. Like in the courses that I create, in the blog posts that I write, the emails I send out every Monday morning, I've just started writing a book. I'm starting a podcast, which obviously, you know, you're a guest on. And, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways to look at your expression so one of the things that you know i think we get too driven by the singular goal a little bit so therefore maybe a little bit more of a a design approach to all of this can be really crucial as well so you know there's lots of you can basically present three different realities to people and say you know these are all good lives these are all good fulfilled joyful lives Mm. they might not be what you expect because certainly i'm not in the position i expected to be in
1: but, I'm not even. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I think my favorite quote is like success is liking yourself, liking what you do and liking how you do it. Mm. And I think that takes away what you were saying before about expectation, you take away all the expectation, you take away all the idea of like, all these things that you have, like, I want to do this, and I want to achieve this, and I want to achieve this, they're important to have, but I also think it's about, yeah, seeing it from a different perspective like you're just talking there do you know what I mean like that woman who moved to Tuscany and set up and did everything she wanted to do and then it was like actually this isn't what I hate it like this isn't what I want to do and I think yeah that's really interesting actually I think seeing it from that design aspect is really cool and could just really help people not get stuck in that sort of I guess like traditional cycle of what you want your life to be or what you want to achieve or what we think success is.
0: Mm. Mm. No it is. Yeah, I, mean, I
1: could totally go off on that and like a whole separate podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you'd be welcome back anytime. <laughs> you know, and this is the this is the interesting thing. It's like, you know, I've I've, I've lived it from two perspectives because I've also worked in the film industry as well and it's like, you yeah. know, the amount of like failed composers in Hollywood, Mm. but they've gone on to do amazing things like they're incredible sound designers, they're incredible dialogue recorders, they're incredible, you know, mixers who like sit in cinemas and mix movies to make them sound incredible all day or, you know, they, they go into orchestration and stuff and, you know, I think it's important for people to hear this that, you know, there is more than one path available and there's lots of different views that are all good None of them are bad per se, but yeah. just because, because again, where a lot of my sort of, uh, you know, mental issues and my breakdown came from was the fact that I was judging myself by the achievements of goals. Mm. And the ironic thing is, is that I largely achieved those goals and I still hated myself because yeah. you will always shift the goalposts on yourself.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. There's, um, I think she's called Danielle LaPorte. I think she does this thing called the desire map. And it's basically all about how in, you know, how we all sit down at the start of the year or something, or like a a crucial point and we'll make like goals. Right. I am like the worst, like, well, potentially the best slash worst for this. Like I've been doing this since I was about five. And like I found a list the other day which had like all these crazy things I wanted to achieve, which actually I'd done like 28 out of 30 the most of them. but then one of them was like eat a whole lime in one go and like ridiculous <laughs> stuff when I was a kid. No, that, that, like, that's
0: a New Year's resolution. <laughs> still,
1: not, still not eating the whole lime. But um, the whole idea of this, Like desire thing was instead of writing down a list of like the goals you want to achieve, you write down a list of the the ways you want to feel. Mm. Because we can all make a list of goals where it's like, oh, I want to go to New York this year, for example, just as a random one, or like I want to do this. And then you might not go to New York, but you might go somewhere equally if not more exciting, where you have more like special experiences and a more rewarding like experience from. But then you still look at your goal list and you haven't achieved a goal, and that is gonna knock your confidence or knock you in some way, whereas actually what you lived instead that year might have actually been way more special than anything on your goal list that you then haven't ticked off. So it's the whole idea of like, instead of creating goals as in actual specific things, it's creating goals of like, basically ways that you wanna feel and then working towards feeling that way Mm. and I really like that concept because it takes you away from that thing of like I should achieve this 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 and it's more like I want to feel empowered I want to feel like liberated I want to feel creative I want to feel fulfilled and then it's like okay how do you feel those ways in your career and it just takes away a lot of that like pressure I think as well because you can see it from a more realistic point of view, because it's like, okay, well, I want to feel that way. What's going to help me in like a short term to feel that way? Okay, well, maybe not overproducing a track because I feel like it could fit for drum code. You know, like, that's not going to make me feel fulfilled mm. or, like, that creative. So then you produce something else, and you don't know what the result of that could then be and where that could then take you in the future. Mm.
0: And also, it's a degree of, like, what kind of person am I going to have to become in yeah. order to feel that way in order to create conditions and create environments and situations in my life that are going to allow these things to happen because you are also a product of your environment and that is also one of the more challenging aspects is you know as i mentioned before i haven't really written a lot of music in the last year or so because i thrive off the life experiences that I have. And if my mm-hmm. life experiences are being sat in this chair 12 hours a day and looking at these four walls every day for a year, then I don't really like, I don't really, I haven't really got that much to say, quite frankly. It makes me think like earlier I was going to mention this about like, you know, giving people time to miss you as an artist mm-hmm. and, you know, working in cycles and stuff. I always remember I saw an interview with David Bowie and he had like a massive long gap between albums. I think at one stage, I think he didn't release an album for like twelve years or something like that, twelve, fifteen years. Mm-hmm. And this interview, this guy says to him, like, Well, you know, where have you been? Basically, like, where have you been all this time? And Bowie just looked at him dead flat and just went, I had nothing to say. <laughs> Next question. And and he was literally that flat about it. He was like, Yeah. I'm not gonna write music if I've got nothing to say.
1: Yeah, that's oh, that's great.
0: It's so great. I mean, again, I do, I do, uh, that that whole, I mean, obviously 2016 was was traumatic enough with the amount of people we lost, you know, but, uh, you know, I think we miss these people more than ever. I think we could do with their wisdom more than anything these days, to be honest.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. And hopefully, you know, we'll have a whole new generation of people come forward who can, you know, stand up and be counted and, you know, uh, fight the good fight, so to speak.
1: Exactly. I think that this year has brought so much of that from a political point of view um all the kind of diversity and also a lot more kind of women like kind of I guess standing up against like kind of bad behaviors or like kind of toxic attitudes I think we've just seen a lot of like basically a lot of kind of minorities being like not not putting up with this anymore like not going to do this anymore and then a lot of people everyone's kind of there's very much a divide between the people who are backing like kind of strong positive movements and the people who kind of aren't talking about it and like not using their platform to talk about those things. And I think that's going to continue to kind of have an effect on different people's careers. So I think we're creating a scene for ourselves now where some really special people are going to come out of, especially the last year, there could be like some of the biggest artists we might not even have heard of yet you know what i mean like next time that there's a proper beta season who knows right now what names are going to be on those flyers because who knows what this next year is going to bring or like what last year might have brought people in a creative sense Mm. that we haven't actually like got to see yet so i think we're in a really exciting place
0: and some artists who are going to step forward in ways that are going to surprise a lot of people as well a lot of people are going to emerge from the shadows i'm going to take this opportunity to uh, give props to a friend of mine who is about to do this uh if you check him out he's called simba as in simba from the lion king uh that oh, is i
2: think i know who that yeah, is yeah chris
0: yeah yeah chris is like one of my closest friends i taught music production to him a long time ago
1: i think i have another friend who knows simba really well who also lives in Liverpool and used to tell me about him when I used to work with him at a restaurant um, and talked about how amazing he was. Yeah,
0: because he ran quite closely with like Bontan and those guys and stuff yeah. like they're all from the same crew basically. But, you know, Chris is really interesting because he's, he's doing his masters at the moment. And I'm going to mm. have him on the podcast when the time's right because what he's studying around cultural appropriation in electronic music culture is mm. very, very, very important.
1: Yeah, and, that sounds
0: fascinating. i very uh, of very of the zeitgeist right now, and is a conversation that needs to be to be had, basically. Yeah. And you know, mm-hmm. ag- again, like you know, without going into too much detail, like you know, you know, he's. Uh, He's a guy with, like, Caribbean roots and stuff like that. You know, even though he's got the thickest Preston accent you've ever heard in your life, he's amazing. Love him to bits. And, you know, he's... You know, we, we've we've had some great experiences together and we've also had some experiences where it's like, oh, that's interesting that you've been singled out. You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean, like, we're, we're, we're going to go into it a lot more detail when the, when the, when the time's right, but I think... Yeah, you know, I think you're totally right that, you know, the time for... You know, I think you've you've definitely got to pick your battles, so to speak. And I think you've got yeah. to be able to speak from a place of, of authenticity and speak from a place exactly. where you're authoritative and you're not necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, in the wrong Facebook groups and deciding to storm government buildings, but we won't go there. Um, but ultimately, it, it is about, you know, as you say, it's about expressing yourself authentically yeah. in a way that brings people together. I think that's the most important yeah. thing cuz you know we can, we can definitely speak out against things but we can do it in ways that bring people together and we can do it in ways that potentially divide people. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think we've we we've got a we've got a, a a little bit of a way to go, but we're we're definitely on the right track.
1: Yeah, totally agree.
0: Sounds like a good point to bring this wonderful episode to beyond the studio to a close.
1: And a nice on a nice little positive, on a nice
0: little positive, you know, fight the power kind of note. I like it.
1: Yeah. I like it. So. Oh my god! I think we've like really revolutionised things in the last two hours. I feel.
0: An hour and half. I feel we've revolutionised each other. To be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that that's a good that's as good a starting point as any. So tell us and- where we can find you. Tell us about your amazing other podcast that you are clearly here to plug.
1: <laughs> um i know i got that one in quite fast tonight um so for pr actually for anything about me and any kind of pr stuff it's just lydia laws pr.com which i'm sure you'll put in some sort of show so I'll just spell my name out. um and yeah that's got all my kind of inf- like my clients my info and everything that i've done um I do a lot of obviously I do the music PR. I've started doing lifestyle and also do a lot with like conservation charities and environmental stuff as well. Um, And then my podcast is called Lifting the Lid, spelled L Y D. Um, Love a good
0: pun. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, I actually used to have a column in like a school paper with that name, and I was like, this has not (laughs) been enough. Brilliant, love it. Get a new audience for this. which is basically conversations with inspiring achievers from all walks of life. So, obviously, I would love to have you on there. Oh, I'm sure you're now. just saying
0: that because you're on the podcast now.
1: <laughs> no, I just, like, literally was like, yeah, I'm going to do one every, like, few weeks. And then it was like, oh, wow, COVID's happened and I'm having to, like, change everything in my business. So, slightly behind on my schedule. But, yeah, so, that I've just launched season two of that. Excellent. and you can get that on everywhere yeah that
0: episode with the lead singer of the spin doctors was excellent by the way I enjoyed every second of it
1: thank you yeah yeah that was really interesting there's some yeah there's some really good ones on there um she says so herself um yeah no it's yeah it's good um and I think that's it really where to find me
0: excellent excellent so yeah say so all the links will be in the show notes and i look forward to doing lifting the lid on like season nine or ten when you can be bothered to yeah. have me on <laughs> and uh yes
1: yeah it's 2027 exactly and <laughs> and i'm completely
0: white haired like and got a beard and riding a motorbike because i'm having a full-on midlife crisis do
1: you know what we should do though what? we should do like a little um Oh, but to call like a time capsule thing. Yeah. Of like what is the future in like the music industry and then like get everyone to do it from what we've just said and then get other people to do it and then like open in like 10 years.
0: That sounds, uh, that's a fantastic idea. I am taking you up on it. that. Excellent. We should yeah. do that. We should do that. I like we
1: should it. Totally do that. I'm up for that. Excellent.
0: Fun. Excellent. Right. Well, I shall see you soon and thank you very much.
1: Don't worry. See you later.
0: So there you have it. Another episode of Beyond the Studio comes to a close. I want to say thank you once again to Lydia Laws for spending a couple of hours with me to really shoot the breeze and put the world to write about electronic music and PR and how that whole mechanism works. So I hope you got a lot from that interview and from that conversation. And again, we have so much more lined up for you and you can watch the video version of this episode over on our YouTube channel you can head to www.youtube.com forward slash Make Your Transition and you'll find all the episodes there and a whole lot more, including master classes that I've given over the years, tutorials and a whole lot more. So it's well worth your subscription. We are hopefully by now over 6,000 subscribers, but ideally we want to get to 10,000 as quickly as possible. So if you haven't subscribed already, you know what to do. I'm going to be like a YouTuber and say... Smash that like button, hit subscribe, share it with your friends. You know the dance, all of that good stuff. Next week, I have a fantastic conversation with Katie Knight of Hello Demo and many more aspects of her amazing career in electronic music as a presenter. And it's a completely different perspective. And it's really a conversation about how to meet the dance music industry on your own terms. So it's going to be a bit more of a relaxed conversation, a little bit more catered towards mental health and stuff like that so that's going to be a really great listen and i look forward to sharing that with you next week have an amazing rest of your day whatever you're doing remember to stay safe stay sound and i'll see you next week much love see you later bye